after more than 27 interviews with women from all corners of the world, we thought it is time for you to get to know us, your hosts, better. This is why this is the first episode of the Meet the Maker special where we spend time with Navisa. This super networker from South Africa will share details of her personal and business journey. You will hear how she went from a successful entrepreneur herself to someone who supports dozens of entrepreneurs. Enjoy while she opens up about the parenthood decision her range has brought upon her and let's all learn from this interview how to set up boundaries and stay true to ourselves. Great. Hello, everybody. <laughs> we are so happy to be again on this conversation starting the third season of She Rocks Global. Um, and this time on a very special episode. We have decided that to start this third season, we will interview each of us. And this time, and for a start, we will start by our South African lady, Navisa. How are you, Navisa? Hello, Maka. Hello, Zoya. So happy to be starting this new season together and a little bit intimidated to be on the other side of the conversation. But here we are. You, you are know, the I... best chatter and speaker from the three of us. So I think it's uh, great that we kick it off with you. Definitely. That, that's why we started by you. Uh, still, I want to mention that we have Zoya back on our season after after Danilo's birth. We are very happy that our Shirox family is, is larger now and we have Danilo's in the family too. So welcome back, Zoya. Uh, and well, it's I, great to be back. Are you ready, Navisa? No, I'm not ready, but I'm here. <laughs> I love that. Okay, let's start uh, from the beginning. Uh, we were talking with Zoya preparing this type, but we need to be fair with our audience, but especially with the, the ladies we interviewed before. So please give us a short introduction about yourself, Narissa. <laughs> so I am Noabisa and I am in South Africa and I am South African. And so what can I tell you about myself? I'm going to start with my purpose. My purpose is to connect people to each other. I think that's an important thing for me to lead with because that actually defines so much around why I do what I do and kind of is now starting to define what it is that I do. So I have walked a long path as an entrepreneur. Today, I like to refer to myself as an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, which kind of starts speaking to my purpose around connecting people to each other and to opportunities. And so those people in my world are mainly entrepreneurs. And when I can really hit a sweet spot, if those entrepreneurs are also people who identify as women. Um, I'm an only child raised by a single woman, come from a deeply, you know, formidable, matriarchal and feminine um, part of, you know, a, a family, went to an all-girls school. So when you start talking about defining myself as a woman in the world, There's been quite a lot of work being done there in terms of ideas that were brought into my life, ideas that I've maybe had to reject, and ideas that maybe I've had to relearn as I go about these things. I'm 40 years old. I'm very proud of that and very excited about celebrating every single birthday that I get to celebrate. If I could think about the three words that I use to see if I'm in a happy place, 
they are global liberated abundance. And so I'll stop there for now. Abundance. Can you tell me why that? (laughs) (laughs) So there's a couple of things. I think as an African, as a black woman who is an African, we have been told that you need to be a strong black woman. And sometimes that comes with a sense of there is nobility in suffering. So you first need to earn abundance because you need to suffer through something to then earn some, um, you know, glory or earn comfort. And so I'm saying if abundance just becomes the starting point, abundance in terms of knowing that there is enough of everything, there is enough time, there are enough connections, there are enough opportunities already in how I go about then trying to make time, find time, find opportunities. I'm not scared to lose out on something because I didn't catch it correctly the next time. Or if I share it with someone, it means there's less for me. So I think the idea of abundance in terms of not only is there enough, but I'm also taken care of is something that I hold very, very dear to my heart. That explains why we are friends. I also believe abundance is one of the most important attitudes uh, because it's about how you you make intentions about what you want. Absolutely. And I think abundance also creates a sense of liberation. So I no longer feel responsible for my successes nor my failures, but I walk in abundance in each one of those moments, whether it feels quote-unquote successful or quote-unquote like a failure. It's just part of the abundance journey. Which is your definition of success, Navisa? So actually success, kind of this is the beginning of how I define success is when I feel liberated. Um, So being able to be free to make choices, being able to be free to make those choices when I want to make them, and then being able to enjoy the consequence of my choices on my own terms. So liberation. And then for me, part of success is the global perspective, being able to feel connected to the bigger picture, to everyone, and then also having that freedom to be connected to global geographical locations. And so being able to go anywhere in the world and find my way in the world. And then, of course, living in this place of abundance, both both materially, but of course, also spiritually and sort of mentally. So for me, success is defined by those three words of liberation, global and abundant. So back to the, that sense check. No, Bisa, you are talking about freedom. So I have to ask you, what is, uh, what are some areas in your life, one or more, where you think that you still haven't gotten to a full freedom or the level of freedom you think is successful and good enough? Mm. So I I think I I haven't reached a point where I'm free all the time to be able to say no. Um, So as much as I talk about abundance, I think abundance feels like that you should always be saying yes. But actually somewhere in that there's a darkness to you saying yes to everything because it's almost like you're, you're feeling like to do everything all the time. You have to be everything to everyone all the time or you won't feel enough. So for me, it's important to get to a point where one day I am actually completely liberated enough to be able to say no to certain things. And that's when I'll feel at my most liberated. But for now, I'm still a little bit beholden to the yes. And we then ask you, when was the last time you said yes and you actually wanted to say no? Oh, you know, what? it's not even the last time. It's actually all the time. Um, Something that happens even in my work in part of my need to So part of my purpose to connect 
actually comes from also a sadness of I grew up as an only child, um, perhaps maybe grew up with a, a sense of loneliness. And, you know, when you also have different ideas about the world, you're almost a little bit strange around your friends, imagine as an adolescent. And so loneliness is something that stalks me all the time. And so sometimes the flip side of that is my need to feel connected to people is to actually almost try and bring medicine to the loneliness that sits within me. And so that means my instinct to say yes when I actually should be saying no still sits very close to the surface. So it's actually a daily thing. The number of meetings that I say yes to when I go, I don't need to be a part of this meeting. The number of things where I'm going, yes, I'll connect you to that when I'm going, no, this is not the right you know, energy alignment. So for me, it's actually a daily thing. So when was the last time I said yes when I should have said no? Today. I'm so happy you, you you put it into words so easily because I'm that girl too. Same 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 is going on on this part of the world. Um, Navisa, and um, you talk about your success. You talk about um, which is what is your definition of success? Uh, but what frightens you? I am frightened by the idea of being irrelevant. So I'm frightened by the idea of not having made an impression on anyone at any time. And I don't mind if the impression that I make on you is maybe an impression that's maybe even negative. At least I made an impression on you. But if I can walk into a room and I disappear, that absolutely frightens me. And I, I would ask you Can you tell us why? Sorry, can you repeat the question? So, yeah. so the question was why? Why are you so afraid of that? I actually don't know if I have the answer to that. And if I try and think about it literally on the tip of my tippy toes right now in this conversation, I think it might even be the inherited intergenerational trauma of being a woman. Um, I don't want to be a disappearing woman who's made no mark on the world outside of maybe brought children into the world or married somebody. And the joke is I'm neither of those things. I'm not married and I don't have children. And I actually realized around my 40th that I don't want children. And so I'm, I'm afraid that that will make me irrelevant and invisible, especially also as a woman who's also recently turned 40. The world keeps communicating to us as women that we need to be young and sexy and perfectly sculpted. And I, I'm not that anymore. It's, it's impossible to be that. And I, I don't have the time to, and that's not important to me, actually. But I'm also afraid that that will make me invisible. I love it, Navisa. I'm sure a lot of ladies in our audience will be very uh, comfortable listening to this. And I want to dip a little bit on this about not being a mother, because since we know each other, uh, I uh, will talk about this topic. I don't want to be a mother either. So yeah, it's a mother. And I think it's a topic that, If you are a woman, you will always have a lot of conversations with yourself. Uh, you share that you recently realized that you don't want to be a mother. Uh, can you talk a little bit on that? Because I don't know, for me at least, it's it's an ongoing conversation all the time. And the thing you were saying about, okay, I make this decision, this will make me irrelevant uh, or disappearing women. Um, can you share a little bit on, on, on what changed? Because... When we met, I remember that for you being a mother was a, a part, a very important part of your journey or, or of your dreams or, or, or goals. Mm. 
and this, something changed. Can you share a little bit on that? Yeah. So I think even when I thought I wanted to be a mother, I was actually on the fence about it. And I kept on, and my conversation was, if I meet the right person and if I'm earning X amount of money and if I'm living in this kind of home. And so what I did is I set a lot of these gates that we then needed to pass through so that I could then become a mother. And coming to think of it, I'm going, well, I'm someone who when I've wanted something, I've made it happen. And I've never really worried about the how and the what and the details. And yet this one thing, I've set all these different parameters and criteria before I could even before I could even think about it. So it told me that actually me sitting on the fence about being a mother, especially something so fundamental about bringing a whole new person into the world, meant that it actually wasn't for me. But the real decision point around that has been that in terms of medicine, there's this idea that when you're 40 and above, you're what is known as a geriatric parent. And then also knowing that with the modern stresses that exist, it it probably wouldn't be a very easy road in terms of conceiving. Um, and I realized that for me, my threshold for stress around this, my threshold for suffering around this was too high I did or, or too low. I did not want to actually go through the idea of all the different interventions that would have to then happen. I think the different disappointments that come the hopes that are sometimes not met and just what that does in terms of my sense of self. I didn't want to do that. I didn't have the, the capacity to do that. And yet I have capacity to do so many things, but I realized this, this one, I don't want to do that. And that's okay. And everybody else who's doing it, excellent. And then the third piece is, I mentioned I'm an only child with a single mom and my mom is now aging. She's recently retired. And I've realized that actually my wealth creation journey and my journey around family is actually how do I give this woman who spent more of her life living in apartheid South Africa than not, how do I give her the most incredible chapter of her life now that she's retired? And so even from a financial bandwidth energy point of view, my goodness, this is what we're doing. And it's so much fun. And I, and I guess I'm also lucky that she doesn't give me any stress about that. So that's the evolution of my decision when it came to, to children. And you know what is so funny? I thought it would be a decision that when I landed on it, I thought I would cry myself to sleep about it or that I'd be very stressed about it. And it was one day I was on a walk and it landed and I was like, oh, I don't want to have children. And then I carried on with my walk and my day carried on and I went to sleep that night and I woke up the next day and it was fine. Of course, for the next two weeks, I was incredibly insufferable. Every time I met somebody, I'd say, guess what? I don't want to have children. <laughs> and then I'd wait for the person to kind of give me an applause. And they'd be like, oh, okay, cool. And then I realized it was a decision. And so that's the decision. Thank you for sharing. Because um, I don't know why this last month, I keep uh, having a lot of conversations with people, especially people I know for my professional world, and we just say, hey, you're crazy. You have, come on. You're ridiculous. You're saying you don't want to have a child. Come on. No? And, yeah. and, 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 and I was sharing with my boyfriend, you know, I keep explaining my decision. Come on. It's my decision. Look at this world. Look what's going on. It's not that yeah. bad. And, and, and another thing that I believe, Navisa, maybe I will share it, maybe it serves, and maybe Zoya can also comment on this. There are other ways of being a mother that it's not about uh, like 
bringing a new life into this world. And I think all the mothers in the world need support. And we can be, we can collaborate from another point of view, uh, on another role. Uh, and I think that's very interesting too. Um, so I'm happy to be talking between us about this because I think it, this kind of conversation are needed because uh, I don't know, at least in this part of the world, everybody will question your decision and say, hey, are you sure? Come on, you're a woman. You're not going to have a child. What are you thinking? Yeah, and I think a lot of... Let me just tell you, sorry, let me just tell you one thing. Even when you get a child, people are then questioning the ways you are bringing them and will you have a second one? And so so I think it's a, it's a topic that never uh, uh, stops. So just there was no way out from those conversations. And I think it, I mean, on the the fundamental basis, it just speaks to the idea of how little agency as women we have over our bodies. Whether you have a child, don't have a child, there's always somebody who's asking you a question that's got to do with your uterus. And meanwhile, you're going, please get out of my vagina and my uterus. Just leave me alone. Thank you very much. I love you. You make me laugh. And it feels so good to be in this conversation. That's why we, we create Herox Global, to talk about these things nobody talks about or in a different and way. Abisa, I have a question now when we talked about motherhood, and I'm sure I don't want this conversation to be only about that. So I want to ask you if you can maybe... So we met five years ago, and I know that, as Maka said at that time, you were uh, exploring your options when it comes to motherhood. And I'm sure that uh, throughout the years until this recent uh, realization, you had some kind of like stress or pressure, at least of, in, a, in a passive way around that uh, to-do list, to-do item. Uh, but also another thing that I know about you is that you also were an entrepreneur you had a, a big business behind you, and then you started uh, another one. And then at one point, you said, "Okay, this is enough. I wanna. I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I want to work now." And once, so is there any similarity between those two realizations and the feelings you had before and after? One, once you said to yourself, "Okay, it's okay." I don't have to be an entrepreneur my whole life. I think th- that's a very good question. And and I actually haven't thought about it that way. But again, sitting in this chair, yes, there has been, when I look back, there are parallels. And so I think it's that idea of stripping things down to the bare basics in terms of why do I do this thing that I do? And why am I feeling to, the need to make this decision in this certain way? Who does this decision serve? Who then gets impacted by the consequences of my decision? What am I then willing to carry as the consequences of this decision? And so in the entrepreneurial journey, as I then decided that I no longer wanted to be an entrepreneur who ran her own businesses, I realized that so much of my identity that was tied up in being an entrepreneur was starting to serve other people. People needed me in the room so that they could then showcase this youngish black woman entrepreneur who had these businesses, but it wasn't necessarily to enable my business or to serve me. Meanwhile, I was tired, I was feeling lonely, and I was ready for a new chapter. In the same way then with motherhood, it's this idea of some people need for me to complete a picture of them in terms of saying, 
success as a woman looks like somebody who now has, you know, a good job, an inspiring life, and has a child, a dog, and a station wagon vehicle. Um, and that serves them and not necessarily me. So I think the two decision points are the same and they each hold a mirror to each other around why do you do what you do and who carries the consequences of your decisions. Also, the thing about having second thoughts, like how amazing is the possibility to change your mind? Like, I don't know, but that's a, that, that's about being alive, about growing up. Hey, I thought I wanted this. Now I don't. And that's okay. Um, yeah. And even responding to different environments. So I actually would be remiss not to also mention the effect of the pandemic, right? So you thinking that you want to have children and then or about, I mean, this week marks the, the beginning of the third year of the pandemic. And for a good long time of these last two years, you are alone and you feel like maybe you've, well, I feel like there's been time lost a little bit, but there's also this urgency to, I want to get out there and really urgently discover the world. I urgently want to connect with people from all over the world and connect with places. That's so urgent to me. And I guess it's maybe the same urgency some people feel around maybe having a baby. And so when this moment came, I responded to it in that way in terms of going, right, I want to get my wings back and I just want to be all over the world at any given point. That's our rocking lady. Come on, Narissa. And what frightens you? Because I don't know, I, I, we know you closely, but if somebody is listening to this powerful lady that that goes for what she believes, she changed her mind, she put it up, she reinvented herself. What frightens you? Yeah, I think we did cover a little bit around that when I mentioned the idea of being irrelevant and not being able to make an impression. So I think perhaps then what excites me is the different opportunities I can make to leave my mark on the world, whether it's on one individual sitting next to me or a group of people or the idea that people can look back on a certain moment and say, you know what, when Wabisa was in the room, this is how we felt and this is why we do what we do because of something that she left behind for us. Wabisa, what is the one thing that you regret? Ah, the one thing I regret doing. Oh my goodness. I think it's so funny to look back on regret, right? Because now I've found this language and I guess some of the liberation where I go, there's very little to regret because everything happens the way that it should. Every moment I've been in has been the sum total of my thoughts, my actions, my desires. And maybe if they weren't aligned in that moment, it maybe felt uncomfortable. So do I regret anything? And I know this is hard, but I actually don't regret anything, Zoya. I definitely have moments that when I look back on them, I feel shame. Maybe I feel sadness or I feel embarrassment or I'm angry, but not regret. Okay, then let me reframe it. Uh, what are the some of the recent moments that you felt sad or angry about, but that were in your control? So let's mm. not talk about pan pandemic. So th that's why I was trying to ask the question with regards to regrets, because I think that's something that's the past we feel at least we could have changed or that we can learn from and then do differently in another situation. But what is the one thing that you recently 
think you, you could have done better and we'll try to do better next time? Yeah, sure. That's a fair question. So I think for me, it, it the work, and I, and I think it will be my life's work, will be work around boundaries. So when do you give all of yourself to people and when do you pull back and kind of just go into your cave? When do people... When, are, when do people have the privilege to access all of your thoughts, all of your time? And when is it okay for you to reserve the right to hold back on your time and on your thoughts? So that's something that perhaps I'll continually struggle with because remember now that's the the, the jagged sword edge of being a connector um, is that in the moment, I don't really know where my boundaries are sitting because some days they're too high, some days they're too low. So that's something that I continually feel conflicted about, perhaps on a daily basis when I reflect so on my So I would say that one example is maybe even on this interview that you're trying to tell us, uh, don't go that uh, close. But if you could give us another example, when you think you weren't setting up the boundaries, because uh, you know all that I'm very... Uh, example questions, ladies. I know. I know I'm becoming the horrible She Rocks global guest, but I think perhaps part of that of my boundary work is I think because some of the things feel quite close to the surface and quite personal, and maybe I, I haven't found my muscle on how to calibrate between giving away too much or giving away just enough. I don't have an example to give right now without of getting to a point where I might give away something that I'm not comfortable with. So. I think the concept of saying that boundaries are the thing that give me both a sense of satisfaction and also a sense of failure on the daily basis and hence then moments of regret when I don't know what to do with my time. So actually I'm drawing the boundary here in terms of saying, no, I'm not going to give an example. That's a good, uh, like a uh, bad thing you did in past that you are now trying to improve. So I'll salute you, but uh, I hope you'll give us some more examples uh, on the neck on other questions. Absolutely. So today you pay the price of my learnings. <laughs> I love her, and I love we are we are creating this space with ourselves. Definitely, um, Navisa. We are coming to the end, but I would like to know, uh, and I will ask you a question. Uh, the audience don't know that, but that you used to ask in your in your workshops. I remember. Um, that you share it with us when we, we spend some time in Serbia. And it's, what do you want to be known for? <laughs> I want to be known for being the most connected person in every room that I've been in, both in terms of the network, but also being connected to everyone in the room so that they then feel equally connected to the next person. So I want to be known as the connector. And what is the one thing you want to be remembered for? That it's not the same. You teach me. This. You taught me this. <laughs> I want to be remembered for my ability to find the absurd in every moment. So to find the ability for us to laugh at ourselves and each other in every moment, because actually it's never that serious. It's never that serious. I think that's a good tagline for this episode. Um, now, uh, Navisa, uh, what makes you rock? You know, it's so funny. You would have thought I prepared for this question, but I didn't. <laughs> so what makes me rock is my ability to find words 
in situations and in moments when other people don't have the words to articulate a feeling or a thought. Amazing. I couldn't uh, agree very... more. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That, that's her talent. Um, I'm very happy for this first interview. Zoya, I'm a little bit frightened because I think this first interview leaves uh, the experience very high for us when we change roles in the next conversation. It's, it's something, it's anything we didn't ask that you would like to share with our audience, Navisa. You know, I think it goes back to the idea, perhaps, why do I then also do this She Rocks program and project with you? And it's this idea that it continues to enable my purpose, which is to connect people to each other. So for us to showcase these perfectly imperfect women from around the world means that we're connecting people to each other. And so that's why I do this. Thank you, Navisa. It's amazing. It's always amazing. I think this is always, this kind of conversation It's why we created She Rocks. I hope this third season will keep uh, getting into our audience houses and devices to keep sharing why we love our way that it's perfectly imperfect. Uh, Zoya, you want to say something to close this episode? Are you there? I just want to, yes, I'm here. I just want to thank you uh, both for, for this conversation. And as Maka, you said, this is exactly how we even came up with the idea to do the She Rocks. It's uh, the conversations between the three of us, which were helping us feel we are not alone on many topics and many feelings. Uh, and then we introduced other women to the conversation and we will keep on doing it. But I think this is a great way. And Mabisa, thank you for breaking the ice and um, being the first one. It is a bit unfair as the three of us do know the questions. So you cannot not prepare, uh, even if you don't want to. But I think this was really great. And thank you. And uh, hope our listeners uh, now can Uh, get more info on the questions behind and why we are doing what we are doing. Thank you for your time and for having me. And I think let's all just keep rocking. Let's keep rocking. Thank you very much. See you next episode. Bye-bye. She Rocks Global is a podcast collaboration produced by Makarena Botta, Nwabi Samayema and Zoya Kukic. This season of She Rocks Global was recorded in the American Corner Cape Town, which is also where you will find our sound engineer, T. Kraya Kekana. Theme music for this podcast is composed and arranged through a collaboration between South African musician Nosihe and Hannah Sagasa from Germany. Mixing engineer is T. Luminous. She Rocks Global is a podcast that showcases the stories of perfectly imperfect women from around the world. Should you be or know someone whom you think we should be talking to, please contact us through our Facebook or Instagram or Twitter channels. Handle SheRocksGlobal. Hashtag SheRocks. Until next time, keep rocking.